The following mission is understood in several different ways by the various Mepharshim, and we're going to explain it according to the way that the Rambam understood the Mishnah. And that is that we're discussing dough, which we're not sure whether the challah has been separated from the dough or not. So of course you are obligated to separate the challah again. However, because it's only out of doubt, we're going to see that certain leniencies apply. Now as well as this dough only being obligated in challah out of doubt, it has also become tomei. Now whenever it's possible to separate challah from tohar dough, that is what one should do. Now we learned early on in the Masechta that one is not allowed to separate challah from tohar dough on behalf of tomei dough. The reason being that you may come to separate it when the two doughs are not next to each other, so it won't be min hamukov, and that is not a permitted way to separate tithes, or to separate challah. Now the main leniency which our mission is going to present is the fact that in this case, since it's only obligated in challah out of doubt, one can separate challah from other tohar dough on behalf of this dough. And in fact that could even be better, because that way the challah will be tahar, so the comb will be able to benefit from it properly by eating it instead of having to burn it. So the mission says, one can take the amount of challah which needs to be taken, from other dough from which the challah has not yet been separated, in order to separate tahar challah, to, in order to constantly separate challah on behalf of dough which is possibly obligated in challah. Although demai generally refers to produce which is bought from an Amharetz, from an ignorant person, and because of that you need to tithe it out of doubt, in this case demai just refers to any produce, or any dough at that matter, which one needs to separate challah from out of doubt. And what the Mishnah is saying is that one can designate a piece of toho dough, that he will keep, let's say, far away from any tome dough. And every time he has dough, which is a doubt whether it's obligated in challah, he can designate part of the tohar dough as challah on behalf of that dough, which is only possibly obligated in challah. Now this tohar dough, which you're using to separate challah from, you need to make sure that you don't separate challah from it on behalf of itself. Because as soon as you would do that, it would become chulin unsanctified produce from which the tithes have already been separated, and the challah has been separated, and you can't separate challah from chulin on behalf of anything. And so you have to make sure that you don't yet separate challah from this dough on behalf of itself, so that way you can use it to separate on behalf of other doughs, and so you do that until you've used up the entire dough, until basically you've made the entire dough challah on behalf of other dough. Now if you think about it, if you're doing this for lots of different doughs, so you're going to leave this tohar dough for quite a while, and it will come to a stage where it's no longer edible, and it's mouldy and it can't be eaten. So the Mishnah says that this only works until that dough becomes totally spoiled and not really edible, because then it cannot function as challah, since challah can only be separated from dough which is edible, and fit for humans to consume. And now the Mishnah summarized what exactly is the leniency which we find out in this case. Because something which is only obligated in Chalot out of doubt, its Chalot can be separated from other Tohar dough on behalf of that dough if it's Tomei, even if it's Tomei, and when doing so you don't have to make sure that they're next to each other. As we described, the Tohar dough from which you are separating Chalot can be very far away, and you just designate part of it as Chalot, every time you have dough which is only possibly obligated in challah. Mishnah Zayin, the next couple of Mishnahs discuss the various locations in and surrounding Everett Israel and the status of the produce which grows there, and whether it is obligated in challah. And the first land which we're going to discuss is the land of Surya. 
And Suri refers to all of the lands which David HaMelech conquered before conquering the entire Eretz Yisrael's borders, as the Torah describes them. So before completing the entire conquest of Eretz Yisrael itself, David HaMelech conquered some other lands surrounding Eretz Yisrael, so those lands are known as Surya. And Medo Araiso, Surya is not considered like Eretz Yisrael. However, Medo because it surrounds Eretz Yisrael, and it was conquered by David HaMelech, so it does have certain halachas, just like Eretz Yisrael does. And the Mishnah tells us that Yisrael shoyarisen lagoim besurya. A Yisrael who was a sharecropper for non-Jews in Surya. An Oris, a sharecropper, is somebody who rents and works somebody else's land, and at the end he splits all of the produce with the owner. So he takes a percentage of the produce, and the owner of the field takes a percentage. So if a Jew is a sharecropper on a non-Jew's land in Surya, Rebeliezer obligates all of the produce which goes to the sharecropper himself, the Jewish one, in tithes and in the Shemitah laws. Meaning, according to Rebeliezer, Surya has exactly the same status as Eretz Yisrael in this regard. So just like in Eretz Yisrael, any produce, even which a non-Jew owns, is obligated in Maestras, if a Jew gets hold of the produce, and also the laws of Shemitah. This mission is of the opinion that a non-Jew who owns land in Eretz Yisrael does not remove the obligation of Maestras, and according to Rebbe Yaakov, the same goes for Surya. However, Rebbe Gamliel Poiter, Rebbe Gamliel says that it's exempt from tithes, and I would not need to sh- treat it with the laws of Shemitah, since although it's true that Midrabon on Surya does have some of the same laws as Eretz Yisrael, that's only land in Surya which is owned by a Jew. But since this land is at least partly owned by a non-Jew, it does not share the laws of Eretz Yisrael. Now the halacha is that if somebody makes dough outside of Eretz Yisrael, so let's for now say a far away country from Eretz Yisrael, the halacha is that he actually has to separate two portions of challah. And the reason for this is because Medjabonon, all land outside of Eretz Yisrael, is considered Tomei. The main reason is because the people who lived outside of Eretz Yisrael would often bury their dead in random places, and it wasn't necessarily marked, so you can never be sure where was Tomei and where was Tahar. And so Medjabonon, we consider all of, er- all of Chutzl Aretz, everywhere outside of Eretz Yisrael to be Tomei. It follows therefore that if you separate Chalah outside of Eretz Yisrael, it automatically becomes Tomei. In fact, it's Tomei Mijabonon before you even separate it. So since it's Tomei, it needs to be burnt. So the first Chalah which is separated is burnt. However, this would result in every single Chalah portion which was separated outside of Eretz Yisrael being burnt, and no one would ever separate Chalah and give it to a Kohen for him to eat. But there would be a danger of people totally forgetting about this law of giving challah to a Kohen for him to eat. And so that we would keep and remember and uphold the regular laws of challah, the Rabban instituted that as well as separating the challah and then burning it, you also have to give another portion of challah to a Kohen. And we'll see more details in the next Mishnah. But the point of this Mishnah is that Rabban Gamliel, Omer Rabban Gamliel says, These two different portions of challah which have to be separated also applies to Surya. Just like in the first half of the Mishnah, Rabban Gamliel did not consider Surya to be part of Eretz Yisrael, so to over here, and therefore Surya is considered like the rest of the lands, which is Tomei, and therefore you have to separate two Chalas, one to be burnt and one to be given to the Kohen. On the other hand, Rabbi just like in the first part of the Mishnah, he considered Surya to be part of Eretz Yisrael, so to over here, and therefore Rabbi Yezer says Chala Achas, only one Chala has to be separated because he does not consider Surya to be Tomei. So only one challah has to be separated and given to a Kohen for him to eat. Now the Mishnah records that People began to hold like the leniency of Rabban Gamliel 
namely that sharecroppers in Syria of fields belonging to non-Jews are exempt from Meisters and Shemitah, but they also held that the leniency of Rebeliezer, that you only have to separate one portion of Chala in Syria. Now this is forbidden to do, because really it's all hinged on the same argument of whether we consider Syria to be part of Eretz Israel or part of the rest of the lands. So you can't pick the leniencies of either one, Either you hold like Gamliel for both of them, or like Abeliezer for both of them. And therefore they went back, They went back to behave and to follow Rabbi Gamliel's opinion in both matters, and therefore they were exempt from Maestras and Shemitah if they were sharecroppers in a non-Jewish land in Syria. However, they would need to separate two portions of Chala in Syria, just like Rabbi Gamliel instructed. With regards to the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael itself, even within Eretz Yisrael there are different levels. And there's two significant stages here. One is known as Kedush HaRishonah, and that refers to when Yeshua and the Jews came into Eretz Yisrael the first time, whatever land they conquered at that time. And Kedush HaShniah refers to when Ezra and the people from Bovel came up to rebuild the second base Amikdash, so they conquered Eretz Yisrael once more. However, they didn't conquer all of Eretz Yisrael, which they had originally. So that which they conquered in the Kedusha Shniah was smaller than the Kedusha Rishayna. Now the Kedusha Rishayna, the countries which were conquered in the times of Yeshua, that sanctity did not last. When the first Pesach was destroyed, that sanctity was removed. On the other hand, the Kedusha Shniah, the lands which Ezra reconquered, that sanctity lasts until today. And so saw only the lands which Ezra reconquered when coming up to rebuild the second base Hamikdash, only that land has the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael Midoraisa. However, the remaining lands of Eretz Yisrael, which were conquered the first time by Yeshua, but not reconquered by Ezra, those lands still have sanctity Midrabanon. Says the Mishnah, and Gamliel and Gamliel says, There are three different areas of land within Eretz Yisrael and the surrounding parts of Eretz Yisrael with regards to the obligation of Chala. Eretz Yisrael Yad Kaziv, this is the first one, from Eretz Yisrael itself, all the way up to its northeastern border of Kaziv, and this is referring to Eretz Yisrael, which was reconquered by Ezra. So this has the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael mid and therefore Chala Achas, one portion of Chala has to be separated and given to a Kohen as usual. Now further out than that, Kaziv Ad Hanohar, from Kaziv until the river which is north of Kaziv, Vadamona or to the west until Amona. So basically further out than Kaziv, those are the lands which Yeshua conquered but not Ezra, and therefore they are only sanctified Midrabanon, which means that just like the rest of the lands outside of Eretz Israel, these lands are also considered to be Tome Midrabanon, which means that the first Chala which you separate actually becomes Tome and needs to be burnt. However, since Midrabonon it is considered part of Eretz Yisrael, you also need to give a Chala in the same way as you would give it inside of Eretz Yisrael itself. Because otherwise people will look at it and they'll think that that is part of Eretz Yisrael and that all Chala is burnt. So they'll come to the conclusion that even Chala in Eretz Yisrael itself is always burnt. And therefore, Shte Chalais, two portions of the Chala has to be separated, Achas La'ur, one goes to the fire and is burnt because Midrabonon it's Tomei, but V'achas La'Kohen, another portion is given to the Kohen, so that people don't come to the conclusion that all Chala, even that which comes from Eretz Yisrael itself, is burnt. Now in that case, the main Chala which is separated is the one which is burnt, and therefore Shal'ur, the one which goes to the fire and is burnt, Yesh Lashir, does have a measurement of 1 48th of the dough, just like all Chala which is Tomei, all Chala from Tomei dough, needs to be 1 48th of the dough. However, the Shal'Koyen, the Chala which is given to a Kohen, 
Since that is not actually real challah, and the only reason why we're giving it is to prevent people thinking that all challah is burnt, so it's not real challah, and therefore Eloshio doesn't have a measurement, you can just separate a tiny amount of your dough and give it to a Kohen, because that is enough to stop people thinking that all challah is burnt. Now the third area under discussion is really the rest of the world, that which was not conquered by either Yoshua or, or Ezra, and therefore mid Arisa certainly it is totally exempt from challah. However, as we mentioned earlier on in the Masechta, Mijabonon, challah applies everywhere, even outside of Eretz Yisrael, so that people won't forget about the whole concept of separating challah. And so the Mishnah says, from the river and from Amona inwards, and this really means inwards to the rest of the world, which is outwards from Eretz Yisrael, Again, Shtechalais, two portions of Chala have to be separated. Now, since outside of Eretz Yisrael is considered Tomei, so one of the portions Achas La'ur, one goes to the fire. However, since the entire point was so that people wouldn't forget about Chala, it has to also be done in the correct way. And therefore, for Achas La'Kohen, one has to go to the Kohen for him to eat. Now, in this case, neither of the two Chalas are real Chala. The entire obligation outside of Eretz Yisrael is only so that people don't forget about Chala. And so the Rabbonon chose the portion which is given to a Kohen to be the portion which has to be 1 48th of the dough, because that way the Kohen will benefit. So shall Ur, the one which is burnt in the fire in Lashir, doesn't have a measurement, it could just be any amount of the dough, and you burn that, Vishal Kohen. And the one which goes to a Kohen, yes, Lashir, that's the one which does have a amount, and you would need to separate 1 48th of the dough and give it to a Kohen, since that one he benefits from. And the truth is, we're about to see in the Mishnah that that is not even generally the case. In general, since outside of Eretz Yisrael, there is no Mid-Oraisa law of Chala at all, so we're more lenient, and therefore, if there is a Kohen available outside of Eretz Yisrael, who you can give the Chala to, and that Kohen is Tahar, then you can give the entire Chala, one forty-eighth of the dough, to him, and he can eat it. You don't even need to burn the Chala, because it's not really considered real Chala, because there's no source for it in the Torah. Now, in what scenario does one need to burn part of the challah, as we just described? That's only in a case where the only coin available is a Tome coin. So since anyway the coin can't eat the challah at that moment, since he's Tome, so a portion of challah does need to be separated and burnt. However, if there is a Tohar coin available, and in fact, even if the only coin who is available was Tome, and he's gone through his purification process, but he has not yet waited until it got dark. He's known as a Tavulyoim, and in general, before it's got dark, he's still forbidden to eat challah. Nevertheless, since he has gone through the whole purification process, and it's just a matter of waiting now until night time, there is another leniency, and that is that if he is the only coin available, the challah can be given to him, and none of it needs to be burnt. As the Mishnah says, a tavul yom can eat that challah, and in this regard, we basically view the tavul yom as a regular tahar kohen, and he can eat that challah which is given to him, because it is not real challah. Now, Rabbi takes this a step further, and Rabbi Yossi says, in The Kohen does not even need to go to the mikveh and purify himself in order to eat this challah. This challah is totally not challah. Even a Tomei Kohen is allowed to eat the challah. Now, the truth is, even according to Rabbi not every Tomei Kohen could eat it. There are some severe levels of Tumor which would prevent a Kohen from eating it, but most Karnim who are Tomei would be allowed to eat this portion of challah, since it is not real challah. However, as we just said, even this lenient challah is forbidden for zovim and zovis, who are men and women who have a very severe level of tumor. Lanidos, this refers to women who have a particular type of tumor. Vlayoldos, and women who give birth, and as a result get a severe level of tumor. 
Since their level of Tumah is very severe, they wouldn't be able to eat even this challah, which comes from outside of Eretz Yisrael. Now another leniency which applies to challah from Eretz Yisrael is that it can be eaten together with a non-Kohen on the same table. In general, it's forbidden for a Kohen to eat challah while eating together with a non-Kohen, in case the non-Kohen comes to eat part of it. But when it comes to this challah, it's permitted, since anyway, this whole obligation of challah is mejabonon. And finally, when it tells the Kohen, this challah can be given to any Kohen. And the way we're going to understand this is that it has to be given to a Kohen who keeps halacha properly. But even if that Kohen doesn't eat all of his food in a state of purity, you're still allowed to give him this challah. However, when it comes to regular challah, you're not allowed to give it to a Kohen who doesn't eat everything in a state of purity, since he may come to make the challah tome as well. But of course that doesn't apply to this challah, which comes from outside of Eretz Yisrael, since anyway it's tome. And so that concludes the list of leniencies which apply to challah which comes from outside of Eretz Yisrael. Mishnah Tess, because we mentioned in the previous Mishnah that challah from outside of Eretz Yisrael can be given to any Kohen, this Mishnah will provide us a list with many different things which can indeed be given to any Kohen. Now when we say any Kohen, we still mean a Kohen who keeps halacha. The point is you can give it to a Kohen even if he doesn't eat all of his food in a state of purity. When it comes to regular truma, for example, you can't give it to a Kohen unless that Kohen eats all of his food, even his unsanctified food, in a state of purity. Out of concern that he might by mistake make the truma tome, just like he's happy to make his chulin tome. But in the following list, you can give it to a Kohen even if he eats his regular food in a state of tuma. The following things can be given to any Kohen who keeps halacha even if he eats his unsanctified produce in a state of tuma. Firstly, hacharomim. This is the name for a certain type of vow in which if somebody declares something to be chayrim for kayanim, it belongs to kayanim. Now once the kayan receives that, he can do what he likes with it. It doesn't have any sanctity to it. And in fact, it can become tomei. So of course, it would be given to any kayan. Furthermore, the habachayros, firstborn animals. The halach is that a firstborn animal has to be brought as a korban. But if it has a wound, then it is given to a Kohen. Now when the Kohen receives this, he has to eat it inside of Yerushalayim. Now if a Kohen is going to Yerushalayim, then he will inevitably go to the Beis Hamikdash, which means that he will make sure to purify himself before going into the Beis Hamikdash. So even if in general he is not so particular with the laws of Tumah, when he is eating a firstborn animal, he is particular. Next, to Fidden Haben, the redemption of one's firstborn son, there's a mitzvah in Torah that one's firstborn son has to be redeemed from the Kohanim, so one gives money to a Kohen, sort of in return for his son, to allow him to keep his son. And again, that money has no sanctity to it, and therefore it can be given to any Kohen. Now, when one brings a korban from certain animals, like sheep, certain parts of the animal go to Kohanim. And once the Kohanim receive that, they can do what they like with it, and it has no sanctity itself. It just becomes the possession of the Kohanim. And that includes the Hazirayah, one of their front legs, the Hachayayim, and their cheeks, the jaws, the Hakeva, and the stomachs. So these go to the Kohanim, and they can be given to any Kohen, since they haven't got sanctity. Voracious Hagez. This is a portion of one's shearings from his sheep, which the Torah commands need to be given to a Kohen. And again, the shearings themselves have no kadusha; they're not sanctified. So they can be given to any Kohen. V'shem and Sreifah. Truma oil, which became Tomei, and as a result has to be burnt. So it can be given to any Kohen, since it's already Tomei. So it doesn't matter if the Kohen makes it Tomei more, because you can't do that, it's already Tomei. The Kodje Hamikdosh, and Korban is brought in the base Hamikdosh, which can be eaten by Kohanim. So they can be given to any Kohen to eat. And the reason for this 
is because since all korbanos have to be eaten within Yerushalayim, and some actually have to be eaten within the Beis Hamikdash itself, so the Kohanim will make sure they're Tomei, firstly since they're around other Kohanim, and secondly because they come to the Beis Hamikdash, so they have to make sure that they are Tohar, and because of that they can eat the korbanos, even if they are generally not particular about the laws of Tomah, since when by the Beis Hamikdash and in Yerushalayim they are particular. Alright, and the final one on the list is the Habikurim, Bikurim, which are the first fruits which ripen on a tree, and there's a mitzvah to bring them up to Yerushalayim and give them to the Koyanim. So according to the Tanakhamba, these can be given to any Koyan, because since it has to be eaten within Yerushalayim, so again, all Koyanim will be careful with the laws of Tumah in this situation. However, Rabbi Yehuda Oitzvah Bikurim, Rabbi Yehuda forbids you to give Bikurim to just any Koyan, since whereas Karbonus are brought up on the Mizbeach, and they've got a lot of Kedusha to them, and also they have to be eaten within Yerushalayim, so for all of those reasons combined, Koyanim are very careful to eat it in a state of purity. However, when it comes to Bikurim, they're not offered up on the Mizbeach, they haven't got as much sanctity as Karbonus, and therefore Koyanim are less careful about eating them in a state of purity, and so they can only be given to a Koyan who is careful to eat all of his food in a state of purity. Alright, the Mishnah ends off, Karshine Truma, Truma Karshinim, Karshinim is a type of vegetable, which is usually designated for animal food, however in times of need it is possible, it is fit for eating for humans as well. Now it is learned from Pesukim that food which is primarily animal food, although it is obligated in tithes, because it's still fit for human consumption, nevertheless one does not need to make sure it doesn't become Tomei. And because of that, Rabbi Akiva Mater, Rabbi Akiva permits you to give this truma of Karshinim to any Koyen, since he can allow it to become Tomei. However, the Chacham Eisrim, the Chacham still forbid it, since at times of need, such as during a famine, this is very commonly eaten by humans. And so the Chacham consider this to be like regular human food, and as such it cannot be allowed to become Tomei, and so it can only be given to a Koyen who is very particular about eating all of his food in a state of purity.